if somebody comes to me at 500, it's totally possible to bring them up to that 800, in my opinion, um, relatively quickly within, within 12 months. Some people are willing to make those sacrifices and others just are not. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Today's guest on the Rebel Health Coach podcast is Tony Labress. Tony Labress, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach podcast. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. Now, I'm glad you're here. Today, Tony, we're, we are going to tackle why your manhood is slowly seeping away. For all of you out there, for all those men out there that are wondering where their testosterone levels are going, we are going to touch base on this for you. Tony Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. The website is fdnofflorida.com. Um, I had a 30-year career in aviation as an air traffic controller and been involved in the fitness and health industry, well, gosh, since I was about 13 or 14 years old. I remember buying my first set of Joe Weider barbells <laughs> back in the 1970s when Arnold was was the thing. and. I just saw all the magazines with the the fella on the beach and kicking sand in someone's face. And along came Arnold down the beach and uh, I got fascinated with working out. And, and, and then that turned into a desire to find more out, uh, learn more about physiology, anatomy, um, how the body works, what we knew in science, nutrition. Um, that's kind of been the last probably, gosh, almost 35, almost 40 years now. 10 years before I retired, I, I really was trying to find a niche. Um, I had a degree in biology and I wanted to pursue more education. I just didn't know where I fit in the system. The, the allopathic medical system really didn't speak to me. It, it, it was a mess and it still is a mess in my opinion. So, But at the time, like I said, 10 to 12 years ago, I, I really didn't know where I'd fit. Holistic, there wasn't uh, the programs that are available now uh, uh, in functional medicine. So um, I just started teach self-learning. I started reading books. I started reading naturopathic journals. I started reading studies. And then I had my own venture with um, low T in my late 30s. So I speak from, uh, from a personal experience and, and knowing what that feels like and being very sympathetic to the cause. And fast forward um, through seven or eight different certifications through functional medicine uh, training courses, uh, uh, I, I, I feel that I've, uh, this was kind of where I need to be. This is a place where men need us. Uh, not that I, I don't, uh, uh, take, uh, female clients, but men, men are pretty lost out there and, and we're the last ones to speak about our health. I mean, we just keep going on day by day, pushing forward, going to work, coming home, feeling tired, feeling, knowing something's wrong. You just can't put your finger on it. This timing for your podcast was perfect for me. I mean, it was, uh, something that I've been preaching verbally and through websites uh, continuously. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, I, I received the call to, to do this. with I'm glad you're here. Your certifications are many. I'll post these on the website, but uh, certified for the Kalish Institute of Functional Medicine, certified functional diagnostics nutrition practitioner for, through FDN, a certified functional medicine blood lab analysis through Quest and LabCorp, 
And also you have the level one certified through the applied or school of applied functional medicine. And you also went to functional medicine, functional medicine university. Yeah. And, uh, and Crestor Institute of functional medicine. That was quite kind of the path that I've been looking at. And, but, uh, right now I just kind of stopped with the school of applied functional medicine up until, until maybe 2017 or 18. I mean, but anyway, let's get to the subject of low testosterone. Why our manhood is slowly seeping away as we age. What are some of the symptoms that come from low testosterone levels? Well, I think, like I said, experiencing it myself in my late 30s, one of the things that becomes readily apparent is you've made no changes in your lifestyle. Nothing's really changed. You haven't drank more, drank less. You haven't slept more, slept less. You haven't worked harder. You haven't worked less. Everything seems to be the same, but you start feeling off. You start noticing abdominal fat. You start noticing unusual fatigue. You start noticing um, the erectile dysfunction is a common, uh, common symptom. Uh, the drive for sex, which is multi- multifaceted, the, the drive issue we can talk about as well. Um, the uh, loss of loss of hair, the, the just the, the whole the whole change, the shift in the man's body, what's happening with your body. But but men aren't in, is, as in tune, in my opinion. As women are, women are, you know, they notice the, they notice the small things, the nuances uh, that with their body and they're, they're more attentive as we're men. I just don't feel we're, we're as in tune, not, not all of us, but I don't feel we're as in tune. I now, one of the, one of my goals with my clients is to actually get them to listen to their body is, is a, is a, is a huge goal. I mean, if they can just listen, listen when you're dehydrated, listen when you're undernourished, listen when you're fatigued and you're not sleeping well. If they listen to their body, then they can they can formulate a plan so they can also self-diagnose and and know what that feels like should it happen again. Those if you speaking of symptoms, when you when you talk about gynecomastia, I'm dealing with the client right now. And the alarming thing that I'm seeing with um, low T is I'm seeing it younger and younger. That's that's a very sad statement. Some people call it the uh, the estrogenification of our of our male society because they're they're actually the estrogen levels are creeping up through the multifaceted re- many reasons. But um, I'm seeing it. I just ran a 28 year old's labs the other day, and a testosterone level of 290 is just wow. unacceptable. Yeah, it's unacceptable. So, um, but that's that's what I'm seeing. That is the norm now. The norm uh, for people, and this is somebody who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. So the next thing you'd ask yourself, well, you know, appearance-wise, how do they present? Are they, uh, do you see breast tissue? Do you see, um, you know, are they overweight in the abdominal area? Uh, what's the diet look like? So um, uh, this person just happened to be asthmatic and is on, you know, several inhalers and, you know, GI dysfunction, um, those type of things that, uh, that would disturb any type of hormonal axis. I would say that those those two right there would would definitely be uh, players in, in in his low T. So I, I would beg families to look at their children and even younger children. Like if you start to see a fourteen or fifteen year old developing breast tissue, if you start to see that real malaise, that that fogginess, please get their hormones checked. You know, test their test your children's hormones. 
I know they're developing and there are some dynamics that are different in as in younger in younger males. But if you start to see any of these and you have an inactive child that's not exercising, you know that the insulin resistance is probably developing at a very young age. So I would say that we need to pay attention to what's happening to our young men at a much younger age. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I think I attribute a lot of it to the food that we eat especially as, as young, the younger generation today eats a lot of fast food and stuff that's very, causes high insulin levels. You know, it, it, it's sad because, I mean, more and more people and children, including, are becoming insulin resistant. We're missing the boat, I feel, so. Yeah, and I haven't dismissed the fact, although I can't tie it directly to a cause of low T, I haven't dismissed, and it's always sitting in the back of my head, the over-vaccination protocols of our children. You can't tell me with these vaccination protocols that there isn't something happening uh, at the hypothalamus pituitary axis level with all these vaccines. I mean, the vaccine protocols nowadays are absolutely out of control. I don't think some people understand how, how vaccinated our children are nowadays. Exactly. I'm in my mid fifties, so think of uh, think of what what uh, what vaccinations we had as back in our in our younger days. Now now I talk to uh, people with young children, and I mean they have over thirty vaccines by the time they're four. I mean, which is ridiculous. Well, you were in the military too, and I know from being going through military in the mil- or being in the military, the first thing they do in boot camp is shoot you up with a bunch of vaccines. Sure. And we don't know, and, we, and nobody really knows. I know there's a lot of studies out there, and I, I don't get, I won't take a vaccination now to save my soul. Even like a TB shot, I will, I just turn it down. I'm like, no, that's, I'll take the chances. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, you know, and, and, and again, there's, there's a lot of research out there. The vaccines of our day uh, had probably uh, just some really, really bad add ons and, you know, into, into those uh, concoctions that they were shooting into us. And I just, I don't trust them either, to be very honest with you. I mean, uh, I, I, don't, I don't get a flu shot. I just read yesterday that they're coming out in a few months with a one flu shot for your lifetime. Yeah. So basically, you'll have one flu shot. That's yeah, a, I'll pass. Brains. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that as well. <laughs> so uh, it, it's just, uh, if, I, if I don't know what's in it, if there's not enough research, I don't want to be the guinea pig to find out 10 years from now that I'm not going to be able to see, I'm not going to be able to hear, I'm going to not going to have any hormones in my body. I'm just not going to be the guinea pig for them. Now, let me ask you, what causes low T? Yeah, I think that's also a multifaceted. I mean, we could talk probably for days on it. Um, I, I, I'm a firm believer in the high insulin theory, the continuous levels of insulin degrading the cardiovascular system. So, I mean, our bodies can handle probably when you're younger, you wonder, well, how can a person eat all of this sugar if you're active and you're draining the tank of glycogen, then I would say you'll be more responsive. You'll be able to manage uh, more sugar intake, more carbohydrate intake. As you age uh, and we get into a professional lifestyle and we're sitting at desks and we're on phones and we're, we're not nearly as active as we were as children, or at least my childhood was very active. We didn't have Nintendos and uh, you know, we, my, my parents could never find us. I mean, we were three blocks away playing hockey or basketball or football or baseball in the, in the, in the playground. So we didn't have video games. Nowadays, um, with the sedentary lifestyle of children, I think that's another player of them. They're not able to empty that glycogen tank. Then you have all this excess sugar in the bloodstream. Insulin levels are continuously high, trying to bring that glucose out of the bloodstream because it, it is damaging to the body. 
I think that's a that's a huge player. Uh, estrogen mimickers, all the toxins between water and uh, poor quality of food, and then to boot, you, you know, not being able to detox the estrogen that's in the body. So if it's recirculating and constantly building up at levels that are intolerable to the body, then you can expect negative repercussions. Yep. Yep. And feminizing products that we have today. It's a, I mean, Axe deodorant, uh, deodorants, all of, I mean. Sure. And we're sure. drinking out of bottle. We're drinking out of plastic water bottles all the time. Sure. I, it, there's too many layers. And, and I think when I talk to my clients, we start at the very basic levels. We talk about water. We talk about what they're putting on their skin. We talk about the quality of the food they're purchasing. We look at their diet from a micronutrient, macronutrient uh, profile. So we actually put it in uh, a simple program, a free program like the MyFitnessPal or Chronometer online. They're all free. Um, you can put in that diet and you can look all the way down the line. What's their micronutrient profile on a daily basis and what's their mac macronutrient profile? Exactly. You'll see the deficiencies. Just in the recommended daily, um, the RDI uh, information, you're going to see it clearly that if they don't even meet the RDI and micronutrients, then right. there's a problem. You need, you, you need to change the diet. Yep, exactly. Um, but that, I, I think once once that process starts, if there's no intervention, I think the estrogen levels just, just take over. I mean, you're going to have elevated prolactin, elevated uh, steroid hormone binding globulin, SHPG, elevated estrogen levels. Um, and, and when there's nothing to combat that and nothing to stop it, then the testosterone levels of the body are going to be bound, ineffective, and estrogen is going to take over. So let's talk about that. Let's get into, let's dig into that part. What is, what are optimal ranges of testosterone levels and how low is too low? You know, very, very uh, individual. So when we talk about where, okay, let's find out where the clients started. Where, where are they? They all come to us in different phases. They all come to us with different, they present different symptoms. They pre present uh, uh, where the, the point at which they come to you initially is very different from, say, the, the last 50 clients that you dealt with. So once you get those baseline labs and you correlate with all of the symptoms and the complaints they have, we, if we do, if I do look at a testosterone level, say mostly anything below 600, I would say it's just absolutely something that needs attention. But I also know people that are, are say, in the seven to 800 range that if you take them up to 1200, they won't be happy. So for me, because I was on hormone replacement therapy, that if you were to take a fellow like me, when I tested, I was 254 nanograms per deciliter. And um, I was able through exogenous testosterone cypionate to actually take my levels uh, to, to, different, to, to different levels. I've gone from 800 up to 1,200. I'm, I'm that guy that doesn't feel good at 1,200. I, I don't like the way I feel. I don't feel, um, I, I feel like there's something wrong. My, my innate sense tells me that that is too high for me. So, and then you need estrogen control. And uh, even if you're, you're detoxing estrogen well, if you're putting that much testosterone in your body to take, and, and for some people it don't, might only be 200 nanograms or 200, the shot of 200 milligrams um, over every seven to 10 days would take somebody up to 1200 as where some people based on what their metabolic efficiency is, they would take a 200 milligram shot and only get them up to 800. So it's something that if you're going to introduce exogenous testosterone to somebody that's extremely low, like I'll give you an example. If you came to me as a client and you were at 250, 
And you said you had all the symptoms. Everything was just clearly the, the, the deficiency of testosterone. And I could say, okay, Tom, well, let's work together for a, a year because this didn't happen overnight. There's a lot of things that need to change. Diet, exercise, you know, you name it, uh, supplementation, lifestyle changes, all the toxic load has to be removed. Uh, all the dysfunctions in the body, we have to address those things. So if we work conservatively together for a year, Perhaps we can get your testosterone to 500. We say, say we double your testosterone. I can pretty much guarantee you, based on all my clinical experience, that 500 is not going to make Tom happy. No. It's just not going to be enough. So the question then becomes, okay, uh, many clients will say, I'm not willing to do 12 months to, to get a 100% increase to go to 500. And if they want to go on ex exogenous testosterone, then obviously I have to refer out to, I have a competent clinic that I refer to. But if somebody comes to me at 500, it's totally possible to bring them up to that 800, in my opinion, um, relatively quickly within, within 12 months. Some people are willing to make those sacrifices and others just are not. Hmm. So very individual. I, like I said, I, I can come in at 800, which is my sweet spot, which is where I like to be. And uh, I don't like to be anything below that. And I certainly, that 8 to 850 range is perfect for me. I feel good. I feel healthy. I feel strong. Um, vibrant and intellectually um, sharp. If, if I'm at 1,100, uh, 1,200 on my T levels, I don't feel well. Something's wrong. All right, I agree with that. I've I've been up that 1,200 mark, and I don't like it. Yeah, I just don't like the feeling of it. 800 is about perfect. Yeah, that's just that's just what, that's what we find. The literature is pretty clear in that range too. I think that eight to 900 range where people are really happy. Uh, and, and there's many ways to do it. You know, you're going to see a depressed DHEA level in people. So when you run their labs, they're Dutch, or you just run DHEA sulfate, you're going to see a depressed level. So that's something that you can address with DHEA supplementation as long as you're managing the estrogen load. You don't want to put DHEA into somebody who's not detoxing estrogen. So, and I think I've seen, I've seen people take 100 milligram micronized units, 100 milligrams of DHEA. And then you pull their um, their labs. This is without knowing. And you pull their lab, and they say, "Yeah, I've taken DHEA. I feel a little bit better, but I really don't feel perfect." And then you get back, and their estrogen level, um, estrogen, I like to keep between twenty and thirty pgs per ml. And and uh, some some people come in at sixty or seventy, and it's a wonder why you're not feeling well. All this estrogen flowing through. through <laughs> uh, let's talk about some of the like. Uh, Total testosterone, free testosterone, uh, sex hormone binding globu or globulin, like S or SHPG, I should say, also. And let's talk about that and where all, the, how does our body produce testosterone? Well, it's a feedback loop from the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, the Leydig cells of your testes, and they're all communicating. And when there is uh, the testosterone, about 95% of your testosterone production is through, via your testes through the Leydig cells, about another 5% um, you'll get through your adrenal glands. So as the body calls for testosterone, and, and normally you'll get a peak first thing in the morning about 9 a.m. That's when I get most of my clients that I'd like them to test sometime between 8 and 10 in the morning. Okay. So that'll be your peak level for the day. And um, we get a real good capture of what, of what their body's doing then. So this just is just a feedback loop when the body, when the hypothalamus signals the gonadotropin releasing hormone through the pituitary, then uh, as it travels uh, throughout the body and finally reaches the testes, 
It'll stimulate the luteinizing hormone, um, which in turn will uh, stimulate the Leydig cells to actually pr produce testosterone. Testosterone will flow through the bloodstream. About 97 to 98% will be bound, protein bound. So uh, while they consider it useless, I have seen studies that actually, kind of similar to cortisol, you'll see in certain target glands, you'll see cortisol, bound cortisone, be free to free cortisol. Um, so I, I believe we do see that with testosterone too. I'm not sure clearly on the mechanism. But for the most part, people look at two to three percent of the free testosterone, the unbound portion, being the usable um, amount of testosterone for target tissue and androgen receptor stimulation. Okay. So, so you'll see testosterone, which will be converted into DHT, both can stimulate the androgen receptor, and we can talk a little bit more about it, uh, about DHT um, if you like, it's, uh, more androgenic than testosterone. So. SHBG is a binding globulin that can bind multiple hormones. We look at the sex hormones most of the time, but it is a player when you look at thyroid as well. Thyroid binding globulins and, and, and the interplay uh, has a similar effect. Glycoprotein binds to a hormone and shuttles the hormone throughout the body. High levels of SHBG um, will bind testosterone. So when we always, as part of my male panel, will always be uh, a prolactin draw and an SHBG draw. If somebody has um, gynecomastia, prolactin most more often than not is quite elevated. If the SHBG is elevated, then we can use products to reduce um, the, the binding, which will at the same time uh, allow testosterone to raise. So there are many ways to approach it. If you have a normal prolactin and normal SHBG, then um, we look at other ways, if they're normal, we look at other reasons why, whether the person is primary hypogonadal or secondary, whether, in other words, is it a pituitary feedback loop issue or is it a testicular issue where the problem is in the testicles? Maybe we have a blockage, maybe we have some type of Klinefeld, there's a chromosomal anomaly happening, maybe the testicles didn't descend, uh, hemochromatosis, maybe you've gotten injured, maybe a sports injury. Actually, I've seen many studies on sports injuries uh, to the groin, so um, and that could could be another player. So those are all things to think about. You know, whether you, uh, you can use a urologist or uh, 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 an allopathic practitioner pra practitioner to diagnose those uh, pituitary tumors, et cetera. Let's take this to the next level. Where do we start to change this? The book that you had me. Uh, you sent me to read, or uh, that you recommended I read, has a, a great little pyramid that I liked. But first of all, or the micronutrients are the base of this pyramid. So let's talk about what we do to up our ante and up our testosterone and get some of our life back from, and stop it from seeping away. Sure, sure. Um, well, like I said, a simple way to start is to take a person's diet and put it into one of the programs that I mentioned. Uh, there's another one by Marty Kendall. It's called the Nutrient Optimizer. It's a fee for service. It's very inexpensive. Marty has really put together quite a program that assesses nutrient uh, requirements versus nutrient intake. And he has quite a few PhDs that are part of his 
uh, that have already tried as optimizer and they, they kind of compete with each other. They put their diets in. And so you have these PhD level people actually putting, putting their nutrients uh, in there to see who, who really is, is maximizing the most bang for their buck nutrient wise as far as food intake. So I think that's, I, I've used that service a couple of times and I really do recommend it. Um, but if you're just going to use a simple template like chronometer, um, it's going to use the daily RDIs and, and we want to see exactly where the deficiencies lie. And then we want to correlate those deficiencies if we're strictly addressing testosterone. I'm not talking about other, other ancillary problems. Um, nothing works in isolation, but if we're just, just, for, the, just for the discussion, um, I'm going to look for zinc levels. I'm going to look for magnesium levels. I'm going to look for uh, the red blood cell values. Um, I'm going to look at the aromatase pathways, the detox pathways. All these things put together give me the picture of how I'm going to address um, my client. Vitamin D3 levels, are they getting boron in their diet? Uh, if they're getting zinc, how much zinc and um, what kinds of zinc are they, are they taking in? Is it through food or supplementation? Obviously, magnesium is a huge player. I'm going to look at iodine, choline. I'm going to look at their electrolyte balances. If they're salt, which many people don't know, but salt is a great vasodilator. So when I talk sea salts, like Celtic sea salts, the pink sea salts that people use, um, not that I want to knock those. Um, I prefer the Redmonds based on the book, um, the, the Salt Fix. Okay. Um, because I, I think the research, that's probably the most in-depth research I've seen on sodium um, ever, because I think he, I think uh, the fellow that wrote that, he was actually a pharmacist, actually put 10 years of research into that. So sodium is actually a, a vasorelaxer. So somebody who um, has cardiovascular problems, um, as long as there's no kidney disease indicated, um, I would up their salt intake as I would up their potassium intake. So I'm very particular when I look at labs and I look at total intake of sodium uh, versus potassium. Um, I'm, I recommend normally, uh, certainly as a minimum, with the, um, the 2,500 milligrams of sodium and 5,000 milligrams of potassium, but I, I like to go much higher. Okay. Um, so with potassium, I'm up around seven to 8,000 and I'm a minimum of five grams of, um, a quality salt daily in your diet. So we wake up, uh, with salt for the adrenal glands to help your adrenal glands that work in this axis because cortisol is catabolic. Testosterone is muscle building and cortisol is muscle breaking. So if you look at catabolism versus anabolism, they oppose each other. So we know that if we have healthy adrenal glands, all of the hormones and glucocorticoids and mineral corticoids that are produced by the, the adrenal glands, it's very important to have a really a good amount of sodium on board. So um, I'm, I'm very much in that camp to get a good, I like the, I choose the book's recommendation, which is the Redmond's salt. Um, it's uh, no plastics, no toxins, which may not be screened out of a Celtic sea salt or Himalayan pink sea salt. Okay. Um, the spectrum of iodine is higher. All these things play into your testosterone production. That I just wanted to accentuate that the electrolyte balance for me is really important. It helps you perform better. It keeps you awake. If you are a runner or a person who goes to the gym, and if you just try this one time and add, a, add about a half a teaspoon of salt, to your morning regimen prior to your run or your workout, I would 
probably bet in a high percentage that your performance will increase dramatically. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I, I started I started adding uh, the Redmonds to my water with a lime before my workouts. Sure. And I've noticed a great difference in in my runs and my workouts. And I have a lot more stamina to go through the workout since I've done that. Sure. It, it, you know, and it's, it's just like anything else, Tom, it's this balance, you know, magnesium without calcium, not a good thing. Right. Um, you know, it's this balance that we try to find. That's why people like you and I, we try and find that in our food, but the same head of broccoli that's grown, say here in Florida, in central Florida versus the same head of broccoli that's grown in Oregon or Washington state has a totally different nutrient profile. So we can't be guaranteed by, uh, you know, uh, by going to the chronometer that, you know, we, we, it doesn't allow us to put where this, this vegetable was grown. Right. So I can't tell you exactly. Oh, this is a ballpark <laughs> of what we're trying to do. So I wake up in the morning with a little baking soda and water. I go to bed with a little baking soda and water to raise, to raise those levels, help hydrochloric acid buffer it into du- duodenum. I just think it's just a helpful thing to do. I just keep an eye on my CO2 levels, you know, watch your CBC panel, see, see, see if you need that at all. But I, I'm a firm believer in it. Uh, it. It helps buffer acid. So we're living in an acidic state. And when I see these labs and I, it's clearly, clearly they're very acidic and they need alkaline balance. So one of the quickest ways, you know, when you're changing your diet and everything is just put a little bit of baking soda in the water in the morning and at night. And you, they, they do benefit from it, and you get pretty good feedback relatively quickly. What are you using for baking soda? Um, you know, I just use the Arm & Hammer baking soda. Okay. You know, it's inexpensive. It's not polluted with toxins that I know of, and um, it's quite simple. Uh, I use a little buffered vitamin C with that sometimes, too. Okay. Um, so um, another one that I look really closely at is vitamin A. If you look at the hormone pyramid and you look at the very top and you see coenzyme A, uh, so you have an enzymatic. Um, vitamin A with an en- with an enzyme, vitamin B5, and then pre- uh, pregnenolone, and then those filter down into our hormones. So um, a lot of people get very little vitamin A. Um, I would say that's we see most people that we see deficient in, in vitamin D for sure. Yeah. Um, office jobs under fluorescent lights, um, they don't use blue blockers at night. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the circadian rhythm with hormones. So if somebody is not filtering out blue light after, say, 7 o'clock and getting to bed at a reasonable hour, you can expect some type of adrenal or hormone dysfunction. So I don't just isolate that to testosterone, although I do feel it's a player. Yeah. When you worked like I did in a dark radar room in your, in your 30s and you didn't see the light of day sometimes for 36 hours, um, yeah, that's a big player in, 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 in living in a dark environment, watching blue light hit your eyes telling you it's daytime when you sh- you should be sleeping and when you go home it's dark out at night you don't see the light of day hmm. so that that uh that is a, f- a physical stress on the body it presents um a challenge for those midnight shift workers nurses and so on being in that artificial light and i think that's a huge player in all of our hormone axis talk about melatonin talk about cortisol talk, all these play if you're constantly elevated cortisol then you're going to have depressed testosterone and dhea To sign up for my monthly newsletter, text RHCP, that's Rebel Health Coach Podcast, or Red Hot Chili Peppers, to 22828. Again, that's RHCP, 
to 22828. Thank you and have an awesome day. So we talked about the micronutrients. Let's go into macros, which is basically what we feed our body. Sure. With all the diet fads out there, uh, ketogenic, intermittent fasting, basic the basic diet of macronutrients. Yeah. I mean, what's I mean, pro, diet protein or diet high protein. Yeah, I tell you, it's very confusing, right? Um, I've done pretty much just about almost any diet, protein, spared, modified fasting. I've done 24-hour fasting. I've done the ketogenic diet. I've done the cyclic ketogenic diet. I've uh, just eaten a moderate one-third macros, one-third carbs, one-third protein, one-third fats. I, I think what's most important in this whole picture is to have a minimum. Somebody tells me they can't go ketogenic. Or it indicate the indication is that they're an effective carb burner, and you put them on a ketogenic diet, you're bound to fail. Right. If somebody is not getting fats, healthy fats that we know are are um, valuable to the body for inflammation purposes, for hormone production, because after all, these all start with cholesterol. So if somebody is not is not um, going to support that cholesterol chain, then we're going to have to take some type of action to get these those essential fats into their, into their body. So in my personal opinion, a, a balanced approach would be, if you were just strictly talking testosterone, would be uh, certainly meats with a moderate amount of saturated fats, some polyunsaturated fats through seeds, some um, essential fatty oils. So we want those essential, fat, essential fatty acids to support the hormone production, to support lowering triglycerides. We don't want an elevated triglyceride level. Certainly would want a certain amount of protein, but the access has to work properly. In other words, you can put all these nutrients in the body if the, the nitrogen production is not optimal, if nitric oxide is not, is not optimal. I think that's when we start to run into problems. Um, I can tell you clearly that when I work with somebody who's a coach that's a nutrition coach, and they tell me, look, the ketogenic diet is not going to, we need to change that. And you change it up, maybe adding carbohydrates through tubers, through more fibrous vegetables, and you're not going to gain weight or fat. As a matter of fact, you may maintain the same weight, but you'll actually be leaner and more muscular. And then you try it and it works. You go, I would have never thought of that. Hmm. So until you try it, until Tom tries the diet that's right for Tom, it's very difficult to say, with uh, any certainty of what is perfect. In other words, what is the right, take you where you are. Let's look, I could tell you to eat liver and you'll say, Tony, there is no way I'm going to eat liver. Even though it's a valuable spectrum of nutrients, uh, the protein, all the minerals, the B vitamins, the vitamin A, the, and you say, there is no way I'm going to touch that liver. So we have to come up with a different plan. So I would say optimally, and I'm not a nutritionist, but for me personally, I know at 220 pounds that my, my um, intake of protein daily, the more protein I get, the leaner I get. So when I want to get leaner, I have to take in more protein, which for me, it's a little bit difficult because I don't, uh, red meat now, I've kind of cut back on red meat, more fish now. And I, I don't mind liver, so I could certainly have liver, liver and onions uh, from, you know, good, well-raised animals. But I think uh, we see this problem. I see this problem with female clients. Their protein intake is like maybe 30 grams a day. 
Yeah, it's not they good. wonder why their thyroid is not functioning right. Exactly. Or they don't eat carbs because they don't want to retain water because they don't want the extra weight. So they don't eat the carbohydrates. Well, if you eat the right carbohydrates and you eat them at the right time, then you're, you most likely are not going to have this huge water retention problem. And you're going to upregulate your thyroid, which means you're going to be more metabolically active and thus lose more body fat. So we, we know that if uh, I have several clients that are runners that exercise seven days a week, well, guess what their cortisol is doing? It's skyrocketing. And their, their, their cortisol levels, they're constantly in this state of breaking down tissue, and they're wondering why they can't get the right, um, the, the, the right body composition. Well, because your other hormones are now at the behest of your cortisol environment. So um, you, you exercise not to failure. You don't exercise to exhaustion. You, um, you change the way you work out. The workout should be probably a little bit more ballistic um, for men. I would speak mostly of men in this. You'd probably have a more ballistic. Uh, that's what the studies that I've read and over on Anabolic Man, I, I trust what they say because they're, they're science-backed. I mean, I, if I, I also do my own research, but sure, ballistic movements, we don't want to exhaust ourselves. I'm not a marathon runner. I certainly wouldn't recommend that from a physiological standpoint. It's very dangerous to the body. I, I guess I went from nutrition into, into exercise, but um, they all come together. I mean, they all meet at some point. If you're not exercising, then you're not going to be moving that glycogen from the muscle tissue and from the liver and burning it up to make room for the next meal that's going to be broken down and the carbohydrates are going to come in and they, they want to fill the muscle glycogen, they want to fill the liver glycogen. Well, if that tank is full, where is it going to go? It's going to be uh, shuttled right into your fat stores. Right. So that's th that really is the ticket. I mean, if people understand it, I wish we had a gas gauge for glycogen storage in our body. If we just had a gauge <laughs> on your chest and said, you're running low, Tom, now would be the perfect time to take in some carbohydrates because we're very low. And we can promise you that those carbohydrates will not go to fat. We're going to put them right into storage for future use as energy other than fat storage. That would be great. But can you imagine the person that doesn't just think about it, the person that doesn't exercise it's the person who doesn't do an arm curl or doesn't do maybe a chest exercise or doesn't move their abdominal area or doesn't move their legs. And that glycogen that sits in that tissue is not being burned or being burned at a very slow pace. So the more that they put in their body, the more alcohol they drink, the more carbohydrates they take in, the more it goes to storage. It's pretty sad. Yeah, it, but it's but but it's something we can fix. It's something you can control. And part of what we do, and you know this just as well as I do, is to coach these people to get them. You know, when we get a lot of these clients, they some of them don't get off the couch. Right. You know, some don't move. So it's unrealistic to ask us or to ask them to get up and say, let's start a full a full blown exercise program. But what we can do is we can start to correct all the minor dysfunctions, set a realistic goal. Tell them this is where we'd like to be. Um, I normally recommend like a trampoline, you know, the small mini rebounders. Yeah. And, and I said, look, if you can sit on the couch or if there's not, if there's something, uh, maybe your doctor, you know, you get a good physical and you can just bounce on this thing. I'm not saying don't jump to the ceiling, just bounce on your rebounder while you're watching uh, your favorite TV show for five or 10 minutes a day. And then maybe work out to two of those, two of those uh, routines a day, maybe for five or 10 minutes. And then eventually we get a move. I never even thought about that trampoline. 
Yeah, the little trampoline is is a great tool. It's non-impact. Um, there's little bars they can hold themselves up on. So if they're unstable, um, obviously, you know, get cleared for your from your physician right. to make sure that there's no, you know, there's there's no knee problems, ankle problems. But if they can walk, if they can physically get up and walk from the bed from the bedroom to the living room to the kitchen, then they could probably stand on this with a rail and just just bounce, gently bounce. Let's move the lymph. Let's move the body. Let's let the body realize, okay, the body will respond positively to a light exercise like that for somebody who's not moving. That's interesting. That's a good idea. So. All right, let's go into lifestyle because lifestyle, especially in your what we do, a lot of our clients are people who work a lot and are stressed and they sleep very little. So, you know, that to me, lifestyle is just as important as your food and your mac and your micronutrients as everything else. And sure. And sleep, sleep's a biggie for a lot of people. They don't get the fact that. If you're not getting optimal rest, nothing's nothing's going on. Sure, nothing good's going on. I should say. Yeah, absolutely agree. I, I think sleep is like one of the first things that we all address. You know, we we check uh, we check when when they do the health history when we do our intakes. You know, we're looking at and, and we really have to be specific because people unknowingly don't really report their sleep as being poor until you've had maybe the third or fourth conversation with them. Right. <laughs> you know, they actually fine. You know, you really have to be specific with your clients and um and, and and drag this information out of them on some issues. And sleep is one of them. The the other one is the GI distress and uh and their bowel habits. Right. But, um, but yeah, for sleep, um uh normally I look at a few things. For me, um is to quantify a how much and b truly. Um, if they, there's a lot of heart heart rate variability monitors they can use now. There's sleep studies. There's all kinds of things. Let's figure out. What is the sleep disturbance? Um, I have a 35-year-old son who owns a construction business in Toronto. He's very busy, high stress, high high-paced environment, terrible sleeper. So when he came down to visit, I ran about $300 in labs on him. What we realized was, you know, not only did, was he going through the metabolic syndrome, all the symptoms were classic. We had to address his sleep. It was one of the first things we had to do. In his scenario, it was, you know, the the the, the liver wasn't operating the glucose shuttle very efficiently. So he had a few issues. His mind was racing. His um, glucose metabolism was basically waking him up. His adrenaline, he get an adrenaline surge at two or three in the morning, wake him up wide awake and couldn't go back to sleep. So it's important for practitioners to have a few of those tools in your toolbox. I, I jokingly tell him I'm going to knock him out because <laughs> sleep is, is so important. It's just so vital. So we address, I address the um, the blue light scenario, the circadian rhythm. We want to make sure that we're minimizing blue light after, say, 7 o'clock. Try and encourage them to get into bed by 10 if they're up by 5 or 6. Black out the room. Get the room nice and cool. Um, the pre-supplements are based, the supplements that I'll have them do are based upon how they present. So if somebody has a sugar metabolism problem, then I'm going to, we're going to be addressing their sugar metab metabolism problem, but we're going to give them a little something, some type of food before bed. 15 grams of carbohydrates ought to do it. And this way, they won't get that adrenaline surge. They won't get the cortisol upregulation because the body's looking for sugar. They're going hypo at night and it's waking them up. So in order to combat, combat that, um, you know, some practitioners will use a combination of a protein and a fat if they're, if they're having sugar regulation problems. 
I have not had a negative experience with 15 grams of carbohydrates with any client. So what that simply means is a teaspoon of honey, tablespoon of honey. If they take a nighttime tea with, you know, some, some of the, uh, some of the female clients are really tied into their, their herbal teas. Right. So they don't want to leave their teas. They love their teas. They, they, this is where, so we haven't put a little bit of carbohydrate in their tea. Then if the, if the cortisol from the Dutch test comes back and it's constant, it's elevated, then we're going to use the little, uh, phosphatidylserine. We're going to bring down their cortisol, um, and we're going to hopefully keep the adrenaline and the cortisol suppressed throughout the night. Uh, additionally, a little L-theanine and magnesium. So you can use a combination of these, or you can isolate them and add in, you know, based on how they present and what the labs show. And you should have a pretty good outcome uh, using a little knack, but for the liver um, will help to some with their racy mind. Um, I use taurine as well, and sometimes tyrosine. The theanine seems to be a really nice modulator of that mechanism, so it seems to work. So it seems to work really well. So that that that's how normally I address sleep. The other things that we address is light. Um, if you can get a, if you're in artificial light all day, I try and encourage them. We live in Southwest Florida. I sun's here most of the time. I say, you know, when you go out and take your work break, please get outside and try not to wear your sunglasses. Let the light hit your eyes. Right. And if I could have a prescription for everybody, it would be try and get that morning sun every bit. If you're going to have your tea or do your devotionals or do, you know, whatever you do in the morning, get outside on your deck and let the sun hit your face without, without glasses on indirectly. If you, if you have sensitive eyes, but we want to start that, that hormone mechanism operating properly. And I think you'll see too, for people that have weight problems, just something I've experienced with, with people and clients and talk and network with other um, practitioners is the time restricted feeding. If they stop their feeding the food window at about seven o'clock and say they go, go to bed by 10, most uh, realize, um, a beneficial um, weight loss, a more um, a, a body optimization. So if they start their feeding with a nice protein meal in the morning, and then stop their feeding sometime at night, no later than seven o'clock, if they're in bed by ten, they'll actually benefit nicely with a um, body composition. And as long as they haven't gone crazy throughout the day and been responsible with their eating plan, um, a benefit instead of grazing from seven p.m. to ten p.m. before they go to bed. Yeah. You know, nighttime is down regulation. Your hormones are settling in for the night. It's really not time to start a whole digestive process. I think I've, uh, I, my, myself, and we're all, and we, and you, to your point about all us being different, my graze, my feeding window is about eight hours and my fasting window is about 16. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that has really served me well over the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, intermittent fasting um, for testosterone, um, I've seen studies that actually are in favor of intermittent fasting. And and that's fine. I mean, it's some people it works for and some people it doesn't. Some people it creates a stress that we don't want to stress that person at this time. Right. So. So. Good point. Yeah. It has to be intelligently applied. Right. I think that's really most important with it. There's a time for it. Like I do my fasted cardio in the morning, which is just 30 minutes of medium intensity, whether it be ride the bike or you know, get on the arc trainer or, you know, something simple. I don't do the high intensity hit training. Uh, and, and then if I play ice hockey, I play ice hockey normally. So I'll play one or two games a week. And that would be my highest intensity other than my ballistic weight training. But just, I think what the most important part is for people to understand that that glycogen tank, that system that stores glycogen within the muscle and within the liver, it's really important that we 
empty that thing as much as possible and burn up the existing stores of energy and refill. If it's always full, then what you're going to be taking in over and above is going to be stored as body fat. Let's move into supplementation to help us get our testosterone levels in our body right. I know I, I've just started taking the ashwagandha. Sure. That actually anabolic man recommended. I got the one. Tester RX, yeah. Yeah. I really yeah. noticed the difference in in my my mood throughout the day since I started taking it. It's crazy, but ashwagandha is an amazing substance. But let's talk about some of the ones that you would recommend for I I'm I, I do a lot of high intensity training. Or not a lot. I do it once like once a day. Right. But I, I so my I can tell when I'm done with that workout, my how my stress levels are higher. The ashwagandha is is help lowering that back, bringing that back into check. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, the ashwagandha is really regulating the response of the hormonal response. It has some effectiveness on the pituitary gland, it, so it can work with neuro, neurotransmitters. So it's multifaceted, like a balancing, uh, kind of like Vitex is for women, I, how it manages their progesterone levels. I find that quite interesting. If you look at uh, their formula over there, Anabolic Men, and, and you know, I love supporting companies that do good work. Right. And, and you know, I never, I don't try and steal business from anybody. I, I want to promote companies that do excellent work. And they're, and they're one of them. I mean, AnabolicMen.com, um, the two PhDs that are over there, um, they have a great business now, but one of the things is, is they're, they're really both PhDs and they focus on research backed information. So anything that they say on the website or the YouTube channel is always, I can always go and read the studies and, you know, a lot of studies are done on rats and, um, we find every once in a while, some reasonable studies that are done on people and their formula for tester RX, uh, we'll just go over the, just go over the uh, ingredients. So magnesium, they use actually magnesium citrate. For many reasons, they use it for because studies show for spermatogenesis, for elevating testosterone, for um, blood vessel um, health, cardiovascular reasons. So that makes sense to have that ingredient. Zinc, uh, they use gluconate, and the zinc gluconate. I mean, I could start uh, from immunity to sperm production to elevated testosterone levels. Over the overall value of zinc to skin health. I mean. You just, you have to have zinc. I mean, if somebody is deficient in zinc, 99% of people, in my opinion, will be low in testosterone. Right. I, you just can't have uh, efficient processing of the, the mechanism of, of testosterone elevation or the production of testosterone without zinc. It's not going to happen. They use the KSM 66 ashwagandha, which we talked about. The, the four scoli root extract, they use that. It's, it's interesting. They found a few studies that actually support testosterone um, increase. I think it was at 30% or 28%, um, which is why they have it in there. And, and Ocetol, they use as part of the B spectrum and um, studies do show that it supports that hormonal regulation. So elevation of testosterone has been indicated in a few studies. Glycine, you know, without a doubt, I mean, anything, I mean, glycine is, I haven't really seen glycine be contraindicated in too many things other than a something that is indicative of not being able to metabolize glycine. So definitely supportive of testosterone production. 
anytime you can, it's more so I would say looking at an antioxidant spectrum as well. L-theanine, another modulator of neurotransmitters, seems to work similarly as far as modulating um, amino acids, uh, similar to the way ashwagandha works on the hormone regulation at the pituitary level. Boron citrate, really important. The studies on boron, and this is one that most people you know, forget or don't see. The studies on boron are really clear about supporting not only spermatogenesis, but the increase in testosterone, and specifically to, it has some effect on lowering SHPG. Hmm. So that's, that's a positive in its sense, which if you lower SHPG and you remove some of the bound testosterone to be free testosterone, that's always a good thing. And then the bioperine, the black pepper they use for, um, uh, to, for the effectiveness, to enhance effectiveness and absorption. So really good product, well-researched, don't have any problems with anything they said. I also like Makuna Purians, um, not the maca root, but the Makuna Purians. There's a lot of research over on, uh, on uh, examine.com. You'll see a lot of studies also right. on anabolic men. So that's one I would say that I would that'd be supportive that I would put in my routine. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of salt palmetto. I don't know if you've if you've done any research on it or not. Yeah, I have. I'm not a fan either. Yeah, it's it, it it's going to lower your DHT. If it's going it, to, and there's a problem with that because unless you're having excessive androgenic activity, I just think of finasteride. You know, when people are losing their hair and they go on Propecia or finasteride, you can the, the forums across the globe are dotted with people that have major major problems from going on those drugs. And I mean, from major depression, dysfunctional hormone axis, um, one of my clients actually, um, we were able to um, have this discussion under doctor's supervision. He actually came off of it. He, he could not, it still would not bring up his free testosterone levels. And while he did keep a little bit of his hair, it stopped the loss. He was just an absolute mess. He looked terrible. He was on testosterone replacement. We were able to dial in his dosing, control his estrogen levels, and actually um, he now is, I mean, just looks fantastic, feels fantastic. And that's the coming off the finasteride. I was really worried that we'd have, you know, problems, you know, with him, but it actually, he was one of the people that it worked out very well for. Hmm. So I'm, I don't support any use of finasteride or Propecia. And if I have a client that's on it, then we're going to address it. What about, let's talk about, we missed the THT or DHT part. Yeah, the hydrotestosterone. Yeah, talk about that a little bit before we yeah, wrap more it up. Androgenic, uh, more androgenic than testosterone, very potent. Um, so think of hair. I mean, these, these, these drugs, finasteride and Propecia, are designed to uh, enact a mechanism, a mechanistic effect on the 5-alpha reductase. So if you're losing your hair and you go on Propecia, you're actually going to lower DHT. As a result, so lowering DHT, then most men are able to keep the hair that's currently on their head, not necessarily reverse it or grow more hair back. And like I said, it's created so many problems, and I am not one in the theory. I'm not of the theory that DHT is the problem. That DHT is a problem because it really is makes us men. I mean, it is it is it is just more potent than testosterone, and as long as we have a reasonable level. And we're not, uh, you know, you know, 100% above the high norm. Then um, I don't see a need to take such drastic steps as going on those medications. And here's a, here's another situation: most men have the highest levels of DHT 
in their early 20s. When is your hair the thickest? In your, in your early 20s. <laughs> so that tells me there's something else here at play. Right. It's not just the DHT. Now, maybe the DHT, you know, over the years, maybe it's insulin. Maybe it's elevated, chronically elevated insulin. Maybe, you know, they just haven't tied it all together. But I do know that I have seen several success um, reports of people with certain oils like emu oil. You know, they put them in. They actually increase circulation to the head. I've seen low-level light using a red spectrum light, say 650 nanometers up to 850. Like uh, you can buy a Philips bulb on Amazon for 12 or $13. And I've seen people using that light therapy on their thyroid. I've seen them use it on their testicles for sperm enhancement, for infertility. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And, and, and it, there's a reason because it actually works. Um, you're stimulating blood flow. You're increasing nitric oxide formation. You're bringing vital nutrients to that surface. So it makes sense to me. And there's plenty of literature out there. Um, uh, you can go over Jack Cruz's forum too. He's got all kinds of all kinds of studies. But isn't there a? a he's down in South Florida, Doctor Dick Gaines, Richard Gaines. Oh yeah, yeah, for Gaines Wave, yeah. yeah, yeah, Gaines Wave. Yeah, he's, you know, and that's you know, this. I was just talking to this uh, with somebody today about this because uh, I saw a commercial for it. One of the doctors in my area is now covering it. And or it has the machine. And, and basically, it's technology. It's acoustic wave technology that they developed in Europe many years ago. It's a very, it's not a complex machine. It's just shaped like a little pistol. And it puts out acoustic waves at a certain frequency. So they'll numb the penis up. And then they'll go up and down the shaft at three or four different spots. And then uh, certain areas of the groin. And basically, what it's doing is it's, 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 a, it's a slight damage to those areas, creates stem cell um, initiation and new, new, new vascularity. So now you'll get better blood flow with new vessels. Well, they're charging for this. Like I said, it's, it, it's like $600 a visit. Right, it's not cheap. No, I just, I just I, I'm already opposed to a lot of the things in the allopathic, in the allopathic system. And I, I don't wanna begrudge anybody a profit, but I just think that this technology is not expensive. I think it's extremely safe, it's non-invasive, and for the, those poor folks, because it's not covered by insurance, right. that don't have, can't afford six treatments at six hundred dollars, that's thirty six hundred dollars. Right. I, I take exception to that, and and uh, I'm opposed to it, and and I really wish that um, those things wouldn't be so expensive and readily accessible for the average Joe that's working two jobs, supporting a family of four, and he's so stressed, and he just wants to be able to get an erection, right. and he's incapable, but yet the treatment's out there, and it sh it, it should be available to him. And it should be available at a cheaper price because it's not it's not costing them that much. No, you you can buy a machine on Alibaba for about twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars. Right. So they're buying. He just so patented his own machine. He he bought some rights from the manufacturer who was over in China. Put his name on it. His name is uh, Dick Gaines. Richard, so, yeah, Richard, Richard Gaines. So, so <laughs> he called it the Gaines Wave, and, and great. It's a great business model. I certainly yeah. don't begrudge him for being a businessman. The doctor flies down, gets trained for an afternoon, and then down to Miami, they get training, and off they go back to their practice. And it's very lucrative. Uh, again, I just think that the, the fees are just exorbitant. I just don't agree with the pricing. All right, let's talk about, let's wrap this up in... in uh... First of all, you can find Tony at fdnofflorida.com. I will put that in the show notes along with his credentials. Antibiotic man, antibiotic man will be in there. 
anabolicmen.com. Yeah, the supplements are on there. The supplements they have, you can look at the research papers. They sell several supplements, cortisol, sensorol, that'll help with the cortisol modulation, then obviously the, t- the testosterone production. And, you know, I'm always, I'm always open to hear, you know, people's results. You know, I mean, I, I, always, I always read reviews, you know, but if it's somebody, I, I don't have a client currently taking any of their products, but they're products that I would certainly trust. The only thing I would say that I would add into any protocol whether it be infertility, whether it be somebody coming off of steroids that just wants their own testosterone production to elevate, is the supplement taurine. So the studies are really clear. You'll get almost a 200% increase in testosterone. So um, the dosing on that would be 1,000 milligrams three times a day. You can buy the bulk powders on Amazon through one of the bulk outlets. Um, There's no binders or anything else in there. Just take an eighth teaspoon three times a day, I believe it is. And, And if you're coming off testosterone, and if you're on somebody and you wanted to see what your normal production would be or what it could, what it could be, then we up that to 5,000 milligrams uh, three times a day. So okay. 15,000 milligrams. So if you're on, if you're on test hormone replacement therapy, you up it to 5,000. If you're on, yeah, if you're on it and you want to restart your own system. Okay. So say you want to come off of exogenous testosterone, the recommendation would be 5,000 milligrams three times a day. If you're just looking to increase your current testosterone levels that you're currently making and you're not on TRT, then we look at a thousand milligrams three times a day. And if you can't get it three times a day, then by all means, take it twice, take 1500 and 1500. Right. But take it and um, hopefully you got blood work. You know, um, I, I can do blood work for any of the folks. I get wholesale blood uh, testing through Quest. So anybody that needs just to find their baseline, that's always a great idea. I try and encourage people that even if I, I don't make much money on that at all. It's it's to have a baseline of where you are. Let's figure out a good CBC panel. Let's look at your estrogen levels. Let's look at your detox pathways. Are you detoxing properly? Let's, you know, all the things that if you have them, in, say when you're 25 and then 35 and then 40, then we've got good data to see where you were and where you're going. Test, don't guess. Exactly. Perfect. All right. One more question before you go, Tony. And I, I... Appreciate your time today, especially on this important topic. If you have one hour to kill or just chill out, what album or artist would you listen to? Album or artist? You know, I'll tell you exactly what I do. I, I, get, I listen to podcasts like this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I want to be, I'm, I'm as thirsty for education as anyone. And, and I, you know, I, I'm blessed with the, um, my 30-year career in aviation being over. And um, I actually have time to actually just keep learning. I don't know what my next my next step is. Part of my personal development isn't to take on, is not to take on more clients and, and make my life more complex. It's to learn more to provide better service to the clients that I do. I, I'm 100% right there with you. I, I, if you looked at my coffee table, I yeah, I, I have books <laughs> everywhere on my coffee table. Sure. And you know, especially I really enjoyed prepping for this episode because there's not a whole lot of good information out there for men on testosterone. Yeah, I, I agree. And we spend a lot of time, and I'm sure you do as well, with our female clients right. of low, lowering testosterone. Right. <laughs> so if they're if they're androgen dominant and we have to start changing things up a little bit, we spend time doing that. I, I just think that not everything's always a pill. Not everything's you know, those lifestyle factors that you, you and I were talking about were, are such big players. 
I, I've seen so many things. I've seen thyroids normalize when you fix the gut. I've seen, you know, it just these, it doesn't always have to be at the point of, of where the, where the perceived damage is. Somebody says my thyroid's out. Well, why do you want to fix my gut? Cause they, they do work together. This system does work together. You know, and that's something that a lot of people don't get, Tony, is that, that your gut health is so, so important to your overall health. I, I would start, honestly, it's pretty much almost my number one go-to. I mean, all my clients now have to run a stool test. Right. So, so we're going to look at the gut, and that's one of the prerequisites. The Dutch test, the uh, GI map or F- GIFX, and um, obviously a CBC and, and some other blood work. But in organic acids, those are like the three that they must do. So, you know, that's almost a thousand dollars in labs. Right. But it is what it is. I can't I don't I don't upcharge any of my labs. I. But if you can address the GI problems and and get that functioning properly, and then I would bet that if, if you have all your baseline labs and you ran those baseline labs again, you'd see drastic improvements. Oh, 100 percent. So, yeah. So. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.